Good morning. Welcome. I haven't met you yet. Pastor Anthony, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'll let you stand. We're going to read from Scripture this morning, and just out of reverence for God's Word, um, we're making our way through the letter of Philippians this summer. So Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18, we read, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to the will and to the work of his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ... I may be proud that what I did that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering from the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you that you uh, speak to us through the scriptures. And Holy Spirit, as we gather as your church, may you speak to us. I pray you open our hearts, our minds, and even our imaginations as we are transformed by the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So um, to dive into this text, I'm going to start how Pastor Danner likes to by just asking some question that will make you just ponder your humanity and existence as a bunch of cells on this rock spinning around the sun. Why do you do what you do? <laughs> just think about it. Anything in your life, why do you actually do what you do? If you have a job, why do you get up each morning, go to the office, and then come home? If, if you have children, why did you choose to bring little humans into the world? Why do you spend your money the way you do? Why do you eat the food that you do? Why are you here on Sunday morning on this beautiful, muggy Austin, Texas day? Because our AC is working. That's why you're here. Can we just thank God for that? It's still really hot, though. <laughs> what we do is often, for many of us, it's because we have a plan in the future. We have a goal. Maybe you're... You have a, a desire to retire a certain age, so you've entered a certain career, so you can save enough money so you can retire one day and move to Florida and play golf all day. Or maybe you have a desire to run a marathon or a 5K or something like that, so you've picked a training plan and you're going to stick to it, you're going to eat the right way, and you're going to train so you can accomplish that goal. Other people, we're motivated to do what we do because it's just in us. The artistic types. Often I, um, I have artists in my family and friends who are artists and they just, they have to create. They can't help but create. It's just what they do. Starting to wrestle with this question, why do we do what we do, helps us get behind the motivation of the things we do. Even why we follow Jesus, why we claim to be Christians, it helps us understand what's underlying all of that. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, these, this church uh, that we call the Philippians, and he starts off in this part of the letter by praising them for all of their obedience. That they're so obedient to the way of Jesus when he was there, but now that he's gone, they're still obedient. It's like dad's not home and the kids are still behaving. That's every parent's dream, right? Right? But as I read this text, a lot of questions pop up for me. 
What was stirring these, these Philippians who once were pagans, they worshiped the other gods of their culture and they probably got about just fine in their business to all of a sudden radically change and, and say no to those, the gods of their culture and say yes and pledge their allegiance to Jesus, which was not something that would go well in their culture. Following Jesus was not something that would move them up into the right in the social status. It was actually quite costly. What caused these pagans to convert to the way of Jesus? But then Paul actually... He writes, now work out your salvation, your own salvation in fear and trembling. Anyone's antennas go up when they read that text? Go, what does that mean? Work out your salvation? We've been part of kind of the Lutheran tradition. You've had to just like be into you since you were a child. You were saved by grace through faith. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. So what does it mean to work out our salvation? Anyone have those questions? None of you. We have, no one's raising their hand. Okay, let's just go home. One, thank you, thank you, thank you. Some of you have heard this three times, Pastor Dan, so he already knows all the answers, right? But these questions, we actually, when we come across a passage like this, because a lot of times you read scripture, just kind of the worst thing you do in the Bible is be like, Lord, what do you want to say today? Uh, I don't want to do that today, right? That it, it, we actually have to understand, we use scripture to interpret scripture, and we look for clues in the text to point us to get a bigger context. And one way we can do that this morning is therefore. Can you say therefore? Good. You're the most alive service we've had so far. Good. I'm glad there's humans behind the lights here. Therefore, right? When we see therefore in the text, we, ask it, we have to ask, why is it therefore? Ah, it's a pastor dad joke. It's a pastor dad joke. But it's a beautiful cue, uh, clue because it points us often to go farther back to see what Paul was writing about before. If we go back farther, we find that... Um, we find that Paul, in the beginning of chapter 2, is calling the Philippians to live this life of unity and harmony around the person of Jesus. And then he breaks into what we've come to call the great Christ hymn. And in this letter, Paul actually just breaks into worship, where he starts praising Jesus and, and explaining through worship to the Philippians that Christ took on the form of a servant. So much so that he humbled himself to the point of death. He became obedient to death on a cross. And then he says, therefore, again, because Christ became obedient to the point of death on the cross, God has highly exalted him. That Christ was humiliated and he was exalted. And because of that, Christ is now alive. I know not everyone in here grew up in the, in the Lutheran tradition, but if you did, many of you have, we're kind of obsessed with the cross, with Good Friday, which is good. Christ died for you and for me, but you know what? He rose from the grave. We are Easter people. Christ is alive. He is exalted at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling over all. And Paul is reminding the Philippians, this is who they are in Christ. You know what? You and I, we too have been humiliated and exalted with Christ. Where do you think that's happened? What's right here? Baptismal font. In the waters of baptism, we have been marked by the name of Jesus Christ. That because of what the, the miracle that happens in baptism, 
God gives to us himself his very humiliation, his death, and his exaltation, his resurrection. uh, Paul in Romans 6, he writes about this, that we are dead in, uh, in our waters baptism. We are dead to sin. We have died with Christ. We are no longer defined by the sin in our life. We are, and because that's happened, how much more so than are we alive in Christ that we get to claim his resurrection? And that's the identity for you and I, for the Philippians, that Paul is getting at this morning. That Paul, when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, he's not saying, hey, buddy, try harder, be good enough, give more money, do X, Y, or Z. He's saying, no, 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 because you have been marked by the resurrected Lord, you now get to walk and step with him and work out what has already been done for you in your day-to-day ordinary life. Because what Christ has already done, the gifts that we have received from him, we now get to work it out, and it's going to look different for everyone in our everyday, ordinary lives. This is the context Paul is writing this portion of the letter to his readers, and that he's writing to you and me this morning. So what does working out our salvation look like? What does it look like to participate in the the exalted life that Christ has won for you and I? Now, Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's not writing to individuals. Most of the times when you see you in the New Testament, it's plural. One time I had a seminary prof tell me it's actually the best translation is y'all. And he was from the north and he went, ugh. I'm from California. That's, it's still, I'm using y'all, but it's taken me like 14 years to get there. But Paul is writing to a community of people. He's writing to the family of God, not just one person. He says to the family of God, nope. Oh, I got ahead of myself. I have a really good story I need to share with you guys. It actually was the crux of my sermon. So we're, this is the third one. So kind of skipped it. But you guys, you guys know him? He's one of our members, David Fuentes. David Fuentes is, um, was, still may be a professional runner. But David just, uh, he just qualified for the 2024 Olympic uh, marathon trials. He just won a race. He came second in the race that he now gets to go to the race in Florida to have the opportunity to try to qualify for the Olympics. Now, David, um, he said this about the race. There are not enough words to describe my feelings about the race yesterday, except that I am just over the moon right now. This four-minute marathon PR and overall performance was a long time coming. So many years, weeks, months, and years of putting in the work to achieve what I always knew I was capable of. Yesterday felt so comfortable and effortless, and yes, some difficult moments, but what an incredible day. He ran a two-hour, 16-minute, 34-second marathon. Yeah. And he ran about a five-minute pace per mile. Like, that's really fast. I want to see anyone in here run a five-minute mile for two hours and 16 minutes and 34 seconds. David is a runner. If you ask David why he runs, he just can't help it. I've heard him and his wife. His wife is also an accomplished runner. They go on vacation, and they still go for like 10-mile runs. 
on the Sabbath day, like on Sundays. I'm like, hey, how was your morning? Oh, we got up and did like 15 miles this morning, and now we're here at church. I'm like, oh my, he can't help but run. His life revolves around running. We were at a birthday party, and uh, they were there, and it was all these running people. They've all run in college or run professionally. And they're all retired now at like the age of like 30. And I've never been around so many fit human beings in my life. And all they're talking about is running. Like that's it. Their times, their splits, their, their training routines, while they're just like eating pizza and drinking beer and they're like this big around. Like, oh my gosh. But they are runners. That's what they do. They can't help but run. And that's what it means. This is where Paul's getting at this morning. That you and I can't help but live obedient lives to Christ. It's because who we are. It's who we are. So what does that look like in the family of God? That's where Paul writes these words to to the Philippians. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. See, Paul's pulling on the language of the the Old Testament, where God's people... Is the family he had chosen, Israel, they were in slavery under Pharaoh's for how many years? 400 years. And God redeems them through the Red Sea. And you think they would be like, yay, Yahweh's amazing. He rescued us. He redeemed us. They did that for about three days. And they started grumbling and complaining. And their trip to the promised land that should have been a few short weeks ended up being 40 years. But Paul's picking up on this language of grumbling and disputing. The people of Israel were grumbling and disputing with one another, with their leaders, and even with Yahweh. They wanted to go back into slavery even. They had not received this free gift of salvation that Yahweh had granted them. They refused to receive it. You can tell we're still in the midst of a construction project around here. We thought the promised land would be a couple weeks away. It's feeling more like 40 years. And I have to admit, my fir- the first couple of weeks that this was happening, I was like, this is going to be exciting. It's going to be a good chance for all of us to just like grow with the punches. And I'm so over it. And if I'm over it, Martin's like over it, over it, right? Like the staff, we feel disconnected. It's, it's dirty everywhere. After church, like I can sh- like shake the dust out of my hair. Like, I feel like I'm sick after worship every time just because of everything around here. And it's just disjointed. And my, my precious library is probably just melting in a pod out there. And right here I am grumbling and complaining. But I have to give it to you as our church. You have every opportunity to grumble and dispute and send emails and just be nasty. And you haven't. You've been walking through this with such grace. You've been making light of it. You just come in like, oh, yeah, it still is what it is, right? No one's complaining. Our precious sanctuary carpet is like white at the doorways. You've had every opportunity to grumble and complain, but you haven't. And that may sound like a small thing, and it kind of is, but we live in a world, in a culture, as Paul says, a crooked and twisted generation, that where if you get louder... You yell more, you get angrier, you post enough things on Facebook, then you'll finally get your way. But you've been doing it differently. You've been showing up with grace. You've been showing up with helping hands. You're making VBS happen, even though we can't be in this space. 
And that's just, it's a reflection of what Jesus is doing in the midst of our community, which I can't help but have confidence to know that it's happening in your ordinary, everyday lives. You see, we as a community are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be healthy. We're supposed to shine to the world around us. I come from a divorced family. My parents uh, got divorced when I was very young. And um, we still had a good, good childhood growing up and all that. But there was always something in me all the way up to probably even now where my heart longs to be with families that have a wholeness to them. Because something in, in my life was broken at a young age. But when I saw other families where there was a wholeness, I was drawn to it. I couldn't help, but like I was the last kid, like not wanting to leave a friend's house or a party because there was a place of just security and wholeness. I'm not even able until the last couple years to put a name to it. But when the family of God comes around together, when the family of God learns how to, to love one another in a way that's different than the world, people can't help but be attracted to it. And your individual families are a microcosm of our larger church family. And even if, 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 you're, if you're a single person, you're still part of this family where we're learning to, to live in a way, in a crooked and twisted generation that is attractive, that is a signpost pointing other people to the way things ought to be. Paul goes on to use this language. We are to shine as lights in the world. When you came in, you hopefully got a little um, glow stick. If you didn't, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can grab one on your way out. Don't break it yet, but go ahead and bring the house lights down. And if I'm just one light shining, I wish this sanctuary got darker, but it doesn't. If I'm just a single star shining in the dark, you can see me, but it's not doing much to the darkness, right? Now, let's have this side, just like right here. Go ahead and break your, your stick. Shake it up a little bit. You get a couple more. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Yeah. Abby, our middle school DC, when she saw these, she was like, I'm like, How, what do you know about raves? What do I know about raves, right? Shine it. Okay, get, okay, it's still a little bit more light in the dark, but not much. Like, we're kind of like a cluster of stars now. How about this side over here? Let's add a couple more. Shake it. Hold it up. There you go. All right, we're making a constellation now. Now, everyone, get your lights up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up with your lights. And as we're waving our light, this is what Paul is getting at. This is what we're called to shine as the family of God. As all of our lights shine, as we cling to Jesus, we begin to bring light into the world. It's nothing we can do on our own, but we need one another. Then Paul goes on to say that, that he's encouraging the Philippians to hold fast to the word of life, to hold fast to Jesus so that when Christ returns, Paul can boast in what God had been doing in their lives. You see, our shining, our light, if you will, right now, has already aspect to it. That as we shine, we can be a blessing to the greater Austin community around us. 
But we are pointing people to the day when Christ returns. We are a signpost showing them that one day there will be no more grumbling. There will be no more disputing. There will be no more brokenness. We will no longer have to work out our salvation because we will be with the Lord face to face. So we shine to point people to that day. And Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice with them. And Paul is telling us to rejoice with the saints in Philippi. And he's calling us to rejoice with the saints around the world as their lights shine in their communities, as we hold fast to the word of life, as we shine and wait for Christ to return. You guys can have a seat as the lights come back up. This little light, or probably chemicals that are not good for you or the environment. <laughs> it's going to fade by the time the sun goes down tonight. You're going to forget about it. But the reality is the light that Christ has placed in you, that you've received at the waters of your baptism, is going to shine brightly through you and wherever you go this week. So whether it's back home to a sports event with your children later, your grandchildren, helping out VBS this coming weeks, inviting friends to that, whatever it may be in your office place, may you shine and may you rejoice knowing that Christ is the one lighting you up. He's the one motivating you. So Holy Spirit, may we shine for your glory. May you give us um, the confidence this week to shine, the confidence to go to the dark places, knowing that we are part of your church, that we are not the only Christians around, Lord, but you have your light scattered throughout South Austin. So may we shine by the power of your spirit. God's people say, amen.